Good morning, church. It is good to be together, uh, gathering as the church on Easter Sunday morning. He is risen. Uh, we'll try that again with a little more declaration. He is risen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, God, for the treasure of being able to be present with you and with one another this, this Sunday morning. Uh, again, thank you, uh, worship team. Uh, there's something about worship in song that opens our hearts to connect with God and to connect with the purposes of God. And I just, again, this morning felt in so many ways uh, the songs that were selected, uh, the drawing of my spirit into that space and place of, of the Spirit of God here among us, inviting us into a place and a space to remember a very significant event in church history, and maybe even more than that, a very significant event in our lives, the work of the transforming power of Jesus through his death and resurrection. We've been in this uh, series uh, called Jesus Style uh, throughout uh, this, uh, this Lent season. Almost 40 days ago, I introduced the series Jesus Style, Lent Journey with Jesus, and we've been looking at different gospel accounts of Jesus to see how Jesus interacted with people, how Jesus loved others, and how encounters with Jesus transform the way we view ourselves and our relationship with God. Today we have, in a sense, the ultimate encounter, the encounter of observing, watching, and remembering the death and resurrection of Jesus, Jesus' life in that space and place. So we continue with the questions that we started this series out, the questions of how did Jesus live his life here in this earth that we should be attentive to? be alert to in terms of what it is that God is doing. And as we've walked through this season of Lent, what, what have we learned about him? That's always my goal. We can go through this cycle of the church calendar and remembering things, but if we don't learn something new, each time we do it, we're just remembering. We're not necessarily being transformed. And the invitation in this Jesus style was to say, what was Jesus' style? We've looked at all different kinds of things about how he engaged with people and how he taught. And suddenly in today's account and in today's uh, 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 memory and in terms of the church calendar, looking at those things, there's a recognition that the way Jesus responded was one of obedience. Obedience to the Father, obedience to the plan, obedience to fulfilling the purposes of God. As we, as we spend time uh, in, this, in this context, my, my desire is that we've gained something fresh in this Lent season, and today especially, that we'll gain something fresh. So we're focusing today on these, on these terms, these words, death and resurrection. In a lot of ways you say, well, we, we know what they're about, and we know kind of what, what it is, because for most of us we've heard these for much of our lives. Maybe not true for all of us here. Maybe some of this is kind of a new thing, and even when some of the songs are sung for someone who uh, is newer to the faith, and we start singing about there's power in the blood, and we don't have a context for that, that can sound a little strange, right? 
what are they worshiping about? And we'll talk a bit, ab- a bit about that later. What I invite us to today is, is, to, is to engage in a biblical account from partway through, really, the crucifixion and then right into uh, Easter Sunday morning. Uh, and I'll be reading, I'll be reading uh, that, that account from the Passion Translation. But in that, in that context, what I want us to set in front of us before we even engage with that was just a look kind of at this journey, the, what we call Holy Week, but this journey coming up to Jesus' death and resurrection. What was happening in that context? What was going on during that? What, in a sense, what was Jesus' style in the midst of that? I'm convinced that we cannot fully grasp, still have not fully grasped, what all God was doing and is doing through Jesus' death and resurrection. We have our ideas. You can go study in seminary and they'll give you all, kind of, all kinds of theories and, and thoughts and ideas. And you can go to other places and they'll, they'll talk about what it is. But what was God doing in that space and place and inviting us into resurrection life, new life in Jesus? I hope that today somehow in the midst of my sharing, our taking communion together today, our being together, there's some new glimpses and grasps as to what it is that God is doing and wants to do. The, full, the fullness of that. I, I'm more and more uh, captured by the mystery of God. I'm not one who can explain everything to you. I've studied this thing up and down for almost 60 years. Well, those first five, I, I didn't study it very much. But um, a, a recognition of studying, studying the Word of God and listening to people and reading books. But the recognition is the simplicity of the gospel message is that there's a God who loves us, a God who invites us into relationship with him, and a God who does the transforming work in our lives. We don't change ourselves. We can modify our behavior, but we don't change our hearts. That's the work of God's spirit. So if we go just fast forward, you know, going back quickly, fast forward, what's that? Fast reverse. Um, A a, a recognition of what happened a week ago, Palm Sunday, thinking through this week, and Jesus entered into Jerusalem on a donkey's colt with people waving branches and crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. He was celebrated like a triumphant king. I always say the juxtaposition of that triumphant king, he's coming in and suddenly he's being crucified with thieves and criminals on the cross. And you say, wow, what a shift in perspective and even the ways in which the people are perceiving him. But he came in and he came in and the people, the Jewish people expected a savior, a messiah. In this context, particularly expected a savior and a messiah because of the Roman oppression. And you know what? It was disappointment. Because in that sense, he didn't deliver. He didn't come as that kind of king. He came as a king who laid down his life for the ones that he loved. He predicted his death to, to his followers, and we'll look at that a bit later. And then with them, he experienced the Last Supper, and he washed his disciples' feet. An act of service being there to serve and not to be served. 
and he experienced that last supper with disciples. And John says it this way in John 13, 1. It was just before the Passover feast, and Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave the world and to go to the Father. And having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The full extent of his love was to say, I'm going to humble myself to wash your feet and to serve you. And he then comforted his disciples. He, He told them he was going to go away. He promised them that the Holy Spirit would come and that he would be with them. John 17, he prayed the ama- amazing prayer from, from, from that, that chapter of just praying for not only the disciples, but also for all who would follow Jesus. That prayer was for you and for me, because he was praying it on behalf of all who would follow. And right after that, he goes into the Garden of Gethsemane to pray with his disciples. And it was there in anguish that he showed his humanity, that he, that he cried out, My Father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet, what did he say? Not my will, but yours, but thine be done. A recognition that this is not about what I choose, what I want, what I like, what makes me happy. It's about what brings honor and glory to the Father. And he modeled that. In the place of anguish, in the place of pain. And then in the garden he was arrested was taken, he was spit upon, beaten, tried by Pilate, and sentenced to be crucified, beaten beyond recognition, and wearing a crown of thorns, he died a criminal's death on the cross. That's the account and the story that we enter into this morning. So I I invite you to just listen. We're not, you don't need to turn to this passage, but just to listen in the context of Matthew uh, 27, starting in verse 45. And uh, reading from this paraphrase, the Passion Passion Translation, is kind of a different way of hearing it. But enter into the story, the account of what happened on on the three days before and then on Easter Easter morning. So he's on the cross. It's talking about just before this about the the thieves and even, even in that context, even they taunted and hurled their insults on him. And it says, for three hours... Beginning at noon, a sudden and unexpected darkness came over the earth. And at three o'clock, Jesus shouted with a a mighty voice in Aramaic, Ili, Ili, lama sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken or deserted me? Someone were standing near near the cross, misunderstood and said, he's calling for Elijah. And one bystander ran and got a sponge, soaked it with sour wine, then put it on a stick and held it up for Jesus to drink. But the rest said, leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to rescue him. Jesus passionately cried out, took his last breath, and gave up his spirit. And at that moment, the veil of the Holy of Holies was torn in two from the top to the bottom. The earth shook violently, rocks were violently split apart, and graves were opened. And then many of the holy ones who had died were brought back to life and came out of their graves. And after Jesus' resurrection, they were seen by many people walking in Jerusalem. Now, when the Roman military officers and soldiers witnessed what was happening and felt the powerful earthquake, they were extremely terrified. And they said, there is no doubt this man was the Son of God. Watching from a distance were many of the women who had followed him from Galilee uh, and and had given support. Among them were Mary Magdalene, uh, Mary the mother of Jacob and Joseph, and, and the mother of Jacob and John. And at the end of the day, a wealthy man named Joseph, a follower of Jesus from the village of Ramah, 
approached Pilate and asked if he could take custody of the body of Jesus. So Pilate consented and ordered that the body be given to him. Then Joseph wrapped the body in a shroud of fine linen, placed it in his own unused tomb, which had only recently been cut into the rock. And they rolled a large stone to seal the entrance to the tomb and left. And sitting across from the tomb were Mary Magdalene and the other Marys watching all that took place. The next day, the day after preparation for Passover, the chief priests and the Pharisees went together to Pilate. They said to him, Our master, we remember that this um, imposter claimed that he would raise from the dead after three days. So please order the tomb to be sealed until the third day. Seal it so that this, his disciples can't come and steal the corpse and tell people he rose from the dead. And then the last deception will be worse than the first. I will send soldiers to guard the tomb, Pilate replied. Go with them and make the tomb as secure as possible. So they left and sealed the stone, and Pilate's soldiers secured the tomb. And then jumping uh, to chapter uh, 28. After the Sabbath ended, at the first light of dawn, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to take a look at the tomb. Suddenly the earth shook violently beneath their feet as the angel of the Yahweh descended from heaven. Lightning flashed around him and his robe was dazzling white and the guards were stunned and terrified, lying motionless like dead men. And then the angel walked up to the tomb, rolled away the stone and sat on top of it. And the women, women were breathless and terrified until the angel said to them, there's no reason to be afraid. I know you're here looking for Jesus who was crucified. He isn't here. He has risen victoriously, just as he said. Come inside the tomb and see the place where our Lord was lying. Then run and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. I give you this message. I'm going ahead of you to Galilee, and you will see me there. They rushed quickly to tell his disciples, and their hearts were filled with fear and with awe and with great joy at the same time. And along the way, Jesus suddenly appeared in front of them and said, Rejoice! They were so overwhelmed by seeing him that they bowed down and, and, and grasped his feet in adoring worship. And then Jesus said to them, throw off, throw off all your fears. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. They will find me there. We, we know the account. We remember it even as we hear it read. Maybe it's a little different from a paraphrase. Kind of hear it a bit of a different way. But this incredible account of death and resurrection. Death, which in so many ways in our minds and in this world's mind is final, right? When you die, you die. And yet, this resurrection power, and we could, we could spend all day talking about different descriptions of things that happen. Earthquakes, and people with fear, and people lying down on the ground. Soldiers, Roman soldiers who were bold and brave, laying on the ground in fear. Something was going on here that goes far beyond just a tame little story that sometimes it becomes in our minds. Instead, it's a call to all of us to move into that place of death and resurrection. A place to become one with him in his death and be raised again into resurrection life. This is the invitation. This is what this is about. Easter Sunday is not just about remembering that Jesus rose from the dead, it's also remembering that he invite us, invited us into that place of new life and resurrection. That's the invitation, church, for East Pete Mennonite Church, for any church gathered, for any individual who's a follower of Jesus, an invitation to come and die. Now, some people might say, you know, Bishop, if, 
chill, you know, calm, calm yourself down. We want a good, nice message and not something that's hard to swallow. Most of you know me by now. I don't usually give those good, nice messages. I want it to be from the place where it says, what now is God inviting you and me to? What is his place of invitation? And so I'd like to, us to look at just a couple of passages together. And uh, you're going to hear a lot of text today um, in the sense of, of, of passages, but we're also going to have some on the screen, not, not yet, but just some that are there as a way of reflecting on a couple of key points uh, before we uh, have communion together. John 12. In this context, uh, the, the, the header in my Bible says Jesus predicts his death. And this is the place where even though the disciples didn't know what he was talking about, John 12, this invitation to a place of something different, a different kind of living. So listen, what you, can, you can turn to John 12 if you want, and then we'll project some of these verses up here in a, in a second. But just listen with me. Now, there, there were some... Greeks among those, verse 20, who were, uh, went up to worship at the, at the feast. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. And Philip went to tell Andrew, and Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus. And Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. The man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who, who, who serves me. Now my heart is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. And the crowd that was there uh, and heard it said it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him, and Jesus said, This voice was for your benefit, not mine. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out, but I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. Jesus acknowledging in that context, and the, the text here in front of us is verses 23 to 26 from John 12. Jesus replied, The hours come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. In many ways, our lives are like kernels of wheat. As long as we hold on to them and we grasp them, we keep them, and we don't let our agenda, what we want, what we wish for, our opinions, our way of thinking die in that context, just like Jesus did, laying physically his life down, it took death for resurrection. It required a dying. And it says here, anyone who loves their life will lose it. Anyone, well, anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, the servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. It's not possible for resurrection without death. Not possible. Because you can't resurrect something that isn't dead. The invitation today, church, in celebrating Resurrection Sunday and new life is also in a new way to come and die to my agenda, to my way of thinking, to my desires and say, not my will, but yours be done, Lord.
That's what I desire. You say, we know this. I mean, we know it's true. We know these things in so many ways we've heard them, but the invitation is an active invitation. It's not a one-time, I'm going to die, and then I'll get resurrection life, and then I can kind of coast. It's a daily place of surrender. In a similar way, the Apostle Paul says this in Philippians 2, and again, we'll be looking at Philippians 2, uh, 1 through 11, and, and, a, and a, short, a short part of this particular passage. Philippians 2 says, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. The invitation here from Philippians 2 5 through 8, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. The same attitude, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being found in human likeness and being found in appearance of man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. The invitation is there. None of us likes to die. We fight, and I'm not talking about physical death here. We don't like that either. But in that context, none of us wants to die to our agenda. We're proud, we're a little stubborn, and we're all by human nature selfish. But God's inviting us to a place where we say, I'm laying down my agenda for whatever agenda it is that you have for your life. That willing surrender and submission and death opens the opportunity for resurrection life. Now, it's the opportunity because in that context, we're still looking to him to bring resurrection life in us and not for us to produce resurrection life because uh, we can't. We're not capable of that. In that reality, both in the context of when Jesus was with his disciples and was teaching and then as the early church was formed one of the most scandalous things about this movement the people of the way was this thing that they had with communion they called it the last supper this place of the eucharist being best translated giving thanks regularly giving thanks because as I die to myself, I receive into myself the powerful work of the Spirit of God to transform, to change me into a better man. And it's a mystery. We're going to be 
joining together and taking communion in a moment, and I don't know how communion impacts you or what goes through your mind when we go through that exercise, and there's a whole spectrum of how the church views the broad capital C church across the world views the communion, but at the core, what it's about is receiving into our very being that resurrection power. That's what the invitation is too. It's not a little ritual we do. It's at a minimum a reminder of that. And in many ways, because there's mystery, an actual impartation of the very essence and nature of Christ. Because we remember we are remembered. We're joined with him as a part of a member in the body. In, in, in John uh, chapter 6, and this is part of the scandal, and this scandal was starting back there in the early church, dealt with this in major ways. But uh, John chapter 6, verses 50 and following. There's this this interaction, discussion, Jesus talking about being the bread of life and had just fed the 5,000. People wanted to know what was going on, but they were all also pushing him in that context. And he said in verse 50, but here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which, is, which I will give for the life of the world. And we just talked about that happening. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? He, he said to them, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him, just as the living Father sent me. And I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your forefathers ate manna and died, but he who feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. Can you imagine the scandal? He's there in the synagogue preaching this stuff. My blood, my body. And whoever partakes of this, whoever eats this bread, whoever drinks this blood. Again, it, it, if you really think of it outside the context of a church setting, you're kind of looking like, are these people okay? Like, is there something wrong with this movement? Because it sounds a little gory and a little strange. But it's, it's a mystery. But the truth is, death and resurrection are a part of life with Jesus. Dying to ourselves. Surrendering. And then allowing his resurrection life to come in us. So this morning, uh, and you might say it, uh, it, it, it sounds, uh, Brother Overseer Bishop, like some of the stuff you're sharing just, just, just stretches us a little bit in terms of, of this whole thing of communion. But I, I want us to be in this space where we're receiving on Resurrection Sunday, where we're receiving a special way, the elements, that bread and that blood, that body of Christ and that blood, that bread and the, and, the, and the grape juice, as a reminder and a remembering. Not just remembering, but remembering, connecting again to the one who brings resurrection life. If uh, 
going to transition into the communion time. In front of your seat, somewhere in there, you should find the little package thing. So if you can, if you can all grab those um, and uh, at a minimum get that first layer off so you're ready with the little wafer. Um, there's a, a cellophane layer for the, for the wafer on the top, and then once we've uh, done that, you can, you'll be able to take the rest off for the, uh, for the, for the uh, grape juice. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 says it this way. The Lord, on the night he was betrayed, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it. In remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And if you all uh, can take that little wafer in your hand here, and uh, yeah, you will have to take your mask down or something because we won't get it in your mouth with a mask on. Um, like just offer a prayer. I, I'm going to I'm going to invite us just to to stand in the presence of the Lord um as a as a symbol of both honor of of the one but also an acknowledgement of of participating in something here uh that is both sacred and is mystery but also an invitation to that place to come and eat afresh the bread the broken body of Jesus Christ. So Lord this morning on resurrection Sunday we say thank you, thank you, thank you for your goodness, for your obedience, for your modeling, Jesus' style, what it looks like to lay down your life so that we might have life and that you invite us to lay down our lives so that we might have true resurrection life. And so we thank you for this bread, your body broken for us. And we receive it into our beings this morning as both a remembrance, but also as remembering us back into your body afresh on this Resurrection Sunday. Let's join together in prayer. for this body of the East Pete Mennonite Church. One that I've grown to love and appreciate. I pray a blessing over them. That even as they've received this symbol, but also this practice, that you would stir afresh in each one of us, starting with me, 
a new dying to myself so that I might experience and we might experience resurrection life. We want what you want in our life more than anything else. And so we ask for that to work in us and through us for your glory. On Resurrection Sunday, may resurrection life be released afresh among us for your glory. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. In that precious name we pray. work at getting off that next layer. These, are, these can be a little bit fun. Let's join together in prayer. Lord, we thank you for the shed blood of Jesus represented here in this great church. We thank you, Jesus, for being obedient to death even on the cross and for shedding your blood as a sacrifice. We don't even again understand fully what all is in that, but there's power in the blood. We know that. There's power in that shed blood of Jesus. Salvation power, resurrection power, transformation power. So we say thank you. Fill us afresh, cleanse us, wash us today. Renew us. Bring resurrection life in us, we pray. Let's join together in partaking of, of the blood, the grape blood. And Lord, together again, we say thank you for work on Calvary. Again, a work that's far bigger than what we can imagine. There were, there were things happening in the heavenlies. The power of God so much greater, so much greater than the power of the enemy. That power of God breaking the strongholds of the enemy. And we want to walk in that same resurrected life. Authority over the powers of darkness, of Satan, of hell and instead walking in the fullness of your power. We receive your resurrection power afresh today in our lives for today, for this next week and month and year and beyond. We receive it with gratitude. And again, we say thank you, Jesus, for being obedient to death, even death on the cross. We pray this all in the precious, precious name of Jesus, our Savior and Lord. Invite the worship team to come back up and share a closing song.